Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello again, and welcome to 4Play Radio Sex Therapy. I'm your host, certified sex therapist Lori Watson, author of Wanting Sex Again, and blogger at Psychology Today and WebMD. And I have with me Dr. Adam Matthews, my co-host, who's a couples therapist, psychotherapist, and president of NCAMFT. 4Play is dedicated to helping couples keep it hot. Thanks for listening. Now on to today's topic. Welcome to 4Play Radio Sex Therapy. This is Lori Watson, your sex therapist, with my co-host, back, Dr. Adam Matthews. Back and better than ever. I missed you so much. <laughs> I, li- I, um, I missed you. I mean, it was kind of like, I don't understand what what happened. It felt all all weird and different. And then I Not just heard, recording with me. Yeah, I just, heard, I just heard your voice without my voice, and I was like... I know, that, that was... Wasn't, that was really weird. That doesn't sound right. I know. We, but we, you did such a good job. We thought we'd like fold nearly without you. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Our producer, Lauren, Lauren was like really worried. Oh, oh my gosh. Listen, whatever. You killed it. You, you destroyed it. And it was even, it was so much better. I feel like this one, this podcast, I'm just going to be silent over here and I'm just going to let you do all the talking. No, because then, then you would be distancing, see? And uh, that would be problematic for me uh, <laughs> as a pursuer. I see. Because we're talking about. <laughs> In the mind of a sexual distancer. Yes, we are. Right? Yes. And what that is like for them. Yeah, which we're going to have to stretch here. And, and we're going to have to use all our clinical experience <laughs> all, all our clinical experience to describe the mind of a sexual distancer. <laughs> yes. I feel like they sexual distancers get bad raps, though. I well, mean, do I, you? Yeah, no, right. Because I had a sexual distancer come in this week and said, you know, I was really, really anxious about being here because I was afraid I was going to have to defend myself. I mean, because they feel like they're the bad party. They're the one who doesn't want sex or doesn't want to do sex as much or doesn't want to do the certain act or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think they do feel like they get the bad rap. I'm the one who's not cooperative. Yeah, because I think right? Yeah, because I think the sexual pursuer could feel like the sexual distancer is what cold or withdrawn or withholding. Yeah, withholding. Yeah. And because we attach so much emotion to sex, um, the, and the, because the sexual pursuer, right, wants it so badly, there can be a perception even of a lack of care or a lack of love on the part yeah. of the sexual distancer, which exactly. is not true, right? It's not. It's it's not, not that's true. not fair to the sexual distancer. In it's reality. not true. 
But I, I think the sexual distancer, too, is perceived as one not liking sex, and so they're bad. Mm. Um, and because sex is a good, right? right? It's a good between a coupleship. It's it's like that's that's where we come together, and that's a joyful, great part of our life, which we do believe. But the reality is, is sexual distancers, it, it, ha- it doesn't have anything to do particularly with not liking sex. Sometimes... No. They have low libido, but oftentimes even low libido, and this this blows everybody's mind, but even low libido is the result of the dynamic between the two. Yeah, It doesn't actually reside, one person's high libido, one person's low libido. It right. doesn't actually reside in the person. Libido is between two It's the people. energy between, right? It's the energy between them. Yeah, we've talked about the dance in the relationship right before yes. and how they get caught up in that dance. So that dance becomes the pattern of um, not just their emotional relationship but their sexual relationship, right? And that exactly. either that fuels typically fuels the issues that they have between them. And mm-hmm. you're saying it also includes libido, which I think is good for people to know because they they feel like it gets located inside them right yeah that and it's something that something's wrong with them right and, and i think it's so frustrating to the pursuer it's like oh i just have a low libido partner mm. and it's like then they there's nothing they can do about it yeah but sexual distancing is is a response to a feeling of pressure from their partner oh yeah it really has nothing to do with liking or not liking sex and and you're like, well, my partner, you know, they don't like sex. They <laughs> yeah. don't like anything I've suggested. So you're wrong, Lori. They don't like sex. <laughs> yeah, sexual pursuers are going, well, you haven't met my spouse. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's kind of like. Actually, I have. I've met them thousands <laughs> of times, times for the record. It's kind of like people that like cats. I don't like cats. Yeah. But everybody, every time somebody that likes cats hears that, they say, well, you haven't met my cat. If you only met my cat, then you would like cats. It's, I'm like like, nearly, no. it's nearly like un-American, I guess. not. Well, if you're a male not to like cats, it's different than if you were a female. Not to like cats, but if you didn't like dogs, then I'd really worry about you. Yeah, no, I, I love dogs. <laughs> okay, you like cats? We're yeah, going to go like off. On, we may go off on a tangent. We may have okay. to get back okay. on dog track. Okay, on, on, on okay. Track here, our but, producer is saying, "Get on with it." Okay, I'm just saying, we'll have the we'll have the cat versus dog podcast later. Yeah, on. exactly. Okay, so uh, I think what I have learned about sexually distancing partners is there's two parts to it. One is how they feel about the relationship. Mm-hmm. And two is how they feel about sex. Oftentimes, I, I want to start with the second part. Yeah, Oftentimes, you're, you're saying just to clarify, you're saying those are two. They're two. They're two distinct different, issues yeah. that that go into being a sexual distancer. Uh, oftentimes, they actually feel sex more keenly and more intensely than the sexual pursuer. So it feels intense to them, and mm-hmm. so they're trying to manage and control and experience. So that they won't feel out of control, mm. you know, that they they won't feel this intensity that is like a little overwhelming. It's almost like saying, you know, I love licorice liqueur, but mm. I don't want it every night. I mean, it's like my favorite dessert, but I mean, I can have it, you know, just every once in a while. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just too intense. Yeah. And so and then the relationship often is not safe enough. Yeah. And so these are the two things that can be mitigated from the their partner's side is how do I make sex less intense for them or so that it's safer to have that experience? Yeah. And how do I make myself 
a safe person so that they don't feel this pressure from me. Yeah, because sex sex feels riskier to the sexual distancer than it does to the sexual pursuer. Yes. All right, there's way more risks. To there's it. a huge risk. And the main risk, I think, is that their partner is going to be displeased. Mm. Like one of the things that makes a sexual distancer feel good is if they come out of the bedroom moment and their partner is like, that was awesome. End of story. You know, mm. and they never get that. They, I mean, in when they're at least when they're coming to see us, right? It's yeah. like they haven't gotten that. They haven't got a sense that I please my partner. It's always like, okay, can we do that again tomorrow morning? Can can I can we switch that up some? Can we do another? Yeah. Posi- There's always this suggestion that conveys to the sexual distancer, see, I didn't make them happy, mm-hmm. and they're not avoiding sex. They're avoiding that sense of I let you down. Yeah. You're going to be mad at me. I'm, no matter if I do it with you, you're going to be mad at me because it wasn't good enough. Mm. And so then I'm going to end up feeling bad. Yeah. And so they avoid that more than they avoid the sexual encounter. Yeah. I would throw one more thing that I think is, is a risk for them. And you tell me if, if you agree with this. I think they also are afraid that they're going to lose themselves. Uh, oh yeah. yes, I love that. And because the because the because it is so overwhelming, because the need of their partner is also so overwhelming, mm-hmm. that being able to maintain a sense of who I am and what I want and what I need feels like if I give in to this pressure, that I'm just gonna I'm gonna lose everything. I'm gonna mm-hmm. lose my sense of who I am. I'm gonna lose like the my boundaries are just gonna go away, mm-hmm. right? And that and that to me I think is is another risk as well. And you partner that with the risk that you're talking about, and it's just it's, it's almost over. impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. I I think about it like Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. remember that you're speaking my language. Come on. Oh yeah. More, okay. more Star Trek. Okay. Okay. You know the the machine that they would go into and their molecules would get all mixed up and then yeah. they would go to the next tele- place. What is it? As a teleporter. The teleporter, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I know it's Star beam, Trek. It's I've beam, watched. Beam, beam, beam me up, Scotty. Scotty. Yeah, yeah. Beam me up, right. Scotty. So I think that that's what the sexual distancer feels like when they go into the sexual moment. Like mm. I'm going to get scrambled. Yeah, I'm I'm going to lose control. I'm going to have I mean, for them, having an orgasm is often this this huge feeling of of losing themselves. Like you said, they're going to lose themselves Mm -hmm. and they are not sure that on the other side of sex, they're going to be all put together again. Yeah, they're not going to come out whole. They're not going to come out whole. And I mean, that's that's an unconscious thing. And I I would say most people would go, no, I I know I'm going to still walk away from the event. You know, it's not that it's that an emotional thing, mingling Uh it up with somebody else, letting down your guard, letting them see you in that incredibly Mm -hmm. naked, vulnerable state is exquisitely painful almost to them. Yeah. You know, it's just so it's yeah. so difficult. And it's so confusing to the sexual pursuer because they just don't feel that way about sex. They don't – it's not – because it's not as risky to them, like they can't yeah. fathom, right, why this would not be a step that you could that you could take. But the other reference we could use, let's talk Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. Right? Oh, I where love that movie too. Okay. Where he's going to take the step over the ca- – he's like – He's having to take a leap of faith, right? Yes. And he looks down at that cavern, and there's nothing there, right? right? And right. it is a complete leap of faith. Like it's right. that kind of risky. It's that kind of like it's stepping out into nothing and mm-hmm. hoping that you're going to be caught. Mm-hmm. Which to me is why, if the relationship's not safe and to start with, yeah, like forget about it, right. right? Exactly, exactly. And I think they also are responding to their pursuing partner's agenda. You know, like a, a lot of times, let's say it's a woman who does have physiologically less hunger initially. And I'm going to say this very carefully. 
because her libido, her feelings of desire happen after she becomes aroused. So mm-hmm. she, in the beginning of the experience, you know, if you ask her, do you want to do it? She says, do I want to do it? Um, not at this, no. But then once she's having sex and her body is responding, she's aroused, she's like, I'm glad I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And so her start place is from, this makes my relationship better, it makes my partner feel loved, it's a good thing, afterwards we feel closer, which oftentimes the pursuing partner says, no, 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 that's not good enough, right? Mm. I want you to want it. Yeah. And she's like, well, crap, you know, I want you, I want, uh, I want to make love, I want us to feel good, I want to feel close to you. But now I can't even enter the moment. I'm already screwed, so to speak, yeah. and not screwed. <laughs> not in a good way. Not in a good way before I begin because you yeah. don't even like how I come to the party. Right. You know, and I can't even come to the party just the way I am and then get to where I know I'll feel good, which is in an aroused state where I actually feel those feelings of desire and want. Mm. It's like now you're insisting that I have to do it on this side of it. Yeah, and I think the the pursuing partner seems like they can send those messages both both overtly and covertly, oh, right? Yeah. And so, like the because the sexual distancer, if they perceive any threat to that, what you're mm-hmm. talking about, that they're not going to be, they're not pleasing in some way, right? Right? Then it that's that's what you're talking about there. That's the messages that they're picking up on that make it um, so difficult in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We are talking about the sexual distancer for Play Radio Sex Therapy. We'll be right back. Thank you so much to all our Patreon supporters, right? Yeah. Patreon is a platform where you can directly support things that you love. We really want to expand the resources that we can be able to provide right. to you as our listeners. If you know our work touches you and our work helps you, we would be so grateful for your support. Just go to our website, foreplayrst.com, and there you can find a way to support us, and you can see our episodes and our blogs. And thank you so much, guys. Speaking with certified sex therapist Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive? So an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress compared to weekly therapy. I mean, there's just so much more you can get done when you have a chunk of time. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com. At Matthews Counseling, we believe it is our job to come alongside you in whatever difficult challenges of life you are in and help you rediscover hope and to find the strength that you have to face those challenges. We strive to create a safe and comfortable place for you to explore who you want to be and identify the obstacles standing in your way. Oftentimes, the first step toward finding help is the hardest, but it can also be the bravest. Give us a call at 919-587-8018. Find us online at matthewscounseling.com. Net. We look forward to working with you. Welcome back, everybody. It's Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy with Lori Watson and Dr. Adam Matthews, and we are talking about our second part of our two-part series, talking about sexual distancers and sexual pursuers, and talking this week about inside the mind of a sexual distancer. And Lori, we were just chatting a little bit about this cycle of anxiety, right? And that yeah. we've been, you talked yeah. about that with the sexual pursuer, but it exists for the sexual distancer as it well, does. right? It does. It does. So they they get really caught up in this this potential displeasing their partner. 
mm. like the no matter what I do, I don't make you happy right. kind of problem. And so in some ways what they do with that anxiety is they repress it. They just block out feelings about sexuality. Mm. It's like if I don't think about it, then I'm not going to have a conflict with my partner. That's mm. one issue. But actually if we were to measure it – they have underlying physiological anxiety. So mm. high blood pressure, you know, their blood pressure goes up, their heart rate accelerates. Whenever there's potential conflict, the act of repressing their thoughts and feelings and anxiety about it actually cause them to be physiologically aroused, not in the sexual way, but just in terms of emotionally. conflict emotionally, yeah. right? And so so we have to help them find a way to come forward into the relationship sexually in ways that are safe and small mm-hmm. um, to help kind of loosen this knot and break the anxiety cycle both internally and between the couple. Right. How do you think that we – from their, from the sexual distancer's perspective, yeah. right, how they begin to change that relationship dance and move in a different way, right – to me, the first thing that came to mind when you were talking is they have to bring that underlying anxiety to the surface. They have to become mm-hmm. more aware mm-hmm. of what is happening internally. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that seems to be that's key for a lot of things, just our own self-awareness of what's happening with us um, in general. But here it allows you to know what exactly you the anxiety is about. Right? right. And it shifts it from being about the low libido or the low interest in sex and moves it to, toward being about more about that overwhelming feeling, that feeling of needing to please. And you become more aware of that anxiety. Yeah. Right. As opposed to the sexual anxiety. So one of the things I ask people uh, who are sexual distancers is how many times a month do you think about sex? And then I ask them, like, in a positive way, where you have a spark of feeling that is positive towards sex. And then I ask them, how many times a week do you have a thought about sex in a negative way? Like, oh, gosh, I hope my partner doesn't ask for sex tonight or my partner's expecting it and I'm letting them down. And that is usually a multiple of the first one. Right. You know, the first one may be, well, I think about sex positively four times a month, but I think about sex negatively in terms of a potential conflict between us 16 times a month. You know, I mean, it's always a a huge multiple comparatively. So Mm -hmm. so one of the things I have them do is can we change that negative thought into a positive action? You know, Mm -hmm. if you know you're going to have sex. And, you know, rather than sort of giving the nod and saying, oh, okay, which is demoralizing to your partner, say, okay, I'm beginning to feel anxious. I know my partner. It's been, you know, five days. I know they're going to want sex. And I just am going to pretend I'm asleep, right? Or I'm, I'm going to – and they, they can't because they're actually activated physiologically in, in that emotional conflict place. So it's like why not say – Okay, I'm going to take one of these moments where I feel negatively about it and I'm going to transpose it and I'm going to make it a positive sexual encounter. When I know the pressure is on, instead of like hiding and waiting until my partner initiates, go ahead and initiate. Hmm. That will actually loosen the knot. And maybe yeah. it's just like, hey, hey, babe, I was thinking let's just do a quickie. You yeah. know, and, and then you don't necessarily have to enter the party aroused or filled with desire. But if you enter it joyfully, you know, then then there's like, wow, 
I mean, it completely changes that dynamic on its oh, head. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, because their partner is wanting, wanting, wanting. And when you when the distancing partner just offers it up as a gift, mm-hmm. and I would say to you pursuing partners, take it. Take yeah. the gift. <laughs> don't say, well, I don't I don't want to do it unless you really want to do it. Don't, don't right. do any of those games. Just say, baby, that is great. Let's go. Well, and I think I think one of the fears of sexual distancers is that if they do that, then their the pursuing partner is just going to want more and more and more and more, and it's going to be un, it's going to be unending. And I think it's like for, they're going to whet their appetite. Yeah, for the most part, it's not true. For the most part, when they begin to do something like that to offer it up to change that dance, the pursuing partner their need is met as well, and that. That pursuit tends to be less. That pressure tends to go down yeah. when that happens. I, I have challenged sexual distancers over my career, and I've said, give it every day. <laughs> and, and I will bet that your partner will be stuffed. Mm-hmm. You know, because sexual pursuit is not necessarily born out of horny or out of desire. Yeah. Sexual pursuit is born out of another mm-hmm. anxiety and pressure. So when you answer it with sex— Many times, both parties are able to get to the root of what the anxiety is, right? I had this one patient, and he was a huge sexual pursuer. He was older, and he was also very critical. And this was a lovely way he did the, you know, coming toward her and pushing her away, he'd say. And she was, oh, my God, she was so hot. She was, like, size 6, dressed in boutique clothing, and he would say things to her like, yeah, you know, her thighs are getting a little loose and flabby. But he wanted sex three and four times a week. And finally I said, you know, I, I talked her into it. And it's like, okay, why don't you have sex three or four times a week? And and he was like, then he was angry. He's like, you've created a monster. She's always after me. <laughs> and it <laughs> they, turns, they, they it turns out that this whole thing – Right. I said, because there's always a route to the anxiety. The whole thing was actually he was in his 50s and he was starting to have ED and had problems with it. And so he wanted to seem virile and seem Mm. like he was still macho and wanting sex all the time. But he was afraid that if she came toward him, she would discover that he was he had failing erections. Mm. And so once she did come forward, he had to confess, you know, well, actually, you know, I'm afraid that this is the end of my sex life. And he was really, really anxious. And her stepping it up sexually allowed that to come forward. And then, of course, we could untangle the way he was cruelly uh, projecting on her, you know, his own feelings of I'm not going to be attractive anymore. I mean, it was very complicated. And it always is. You have to believe us that that this sexual dance is very complicated. It's not as easy as one person likes sex and the other doesn't. That yeah. that just is not what it's about. But I would be afraid that sexual distancers would be listening to that and go, well, I knew that they would say, I just have to have sex more. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, to me, like one of the other thing, one of the other pieces is that sexual distancers often don't ask directly for what they want. Right. It, or they don't talk about it from themselves. They talk about what they want to stop, that they want the pressure to stop or they yeah. want the ask to stop or they want something to stop rather than saying, this is what I actually need and this is what I actually want. And, yeah. and I think if they – that coupled with initiating more what what we're talking about, if they can also then be clearer in what they actually want and what they actually need – that it starts to then clarify things, particularly for their pursuer partner. Yeah, and I agree with you. They need to say more. However, 
the sexual distancers often say to me, I did tell them. I did tell them what I liked. And they didn't remember. They didn't listen. And that is true because the sexual pursuer can sometimes be, like, lost in themselves as the sensation, you know, gets really pleasurable and really exciting. They can forget. And I – innumerable people have said, no, no, I did say – and it's like a sexual distancer is often a whisper. They say it. They say it once, and then if you don't remember, you're well. That's that's you know, what that's I, it. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. I think they. I think for the most part, and I think there may be some differences out there, but I think for the most part, they're whispering. Mm-hmm. And I think it, that is hard for a sexual pursuer to hear. Mm-hmm. And so I think like being able to figure out a different or better way to ask for what they need. Mm-hmm. Sexual pursuer needs to listen better. But and when oh, we're talking yes. when we're talking about from the sexual distancer perspective. If they can help calm the pursuer down and say, I need you to hear me on this, mm-hmm. right? I need you to really, you know, turn on your listening ears or however you want to say it what, that's not condescending and say, <laughs> and say, I need you. I need you to take a minute, take a beat and listen to what I'm actually mm-hmm. saying and to talk about it from their perspective. I think right. oftentimes I hear sexual distancers talking about it from their partner's perspective rather than talking about it from their perspective. Right. And I think if they can shift that and continue to say it continue to say it and have a little mm-hmm. more have a little more patience with a sexual pursuer to listen then i think it, there's some there's some progress that they can make there i think sexual distancers and distance emotional distancers as well oftentimes they they have some trouble figuring that out mm-hmm. you know they don't have as much permission to feel like it's okay to be entitled to their yeah. pleasure sometimes they don't know their body's secrets you know they they have never maybe that was somehow or another forbidden to them or they just never explored or, you know, cultural pressure or whatever. So they don't really know and they can't definitively say, I like this. It's more mm-hmm. like I'll know it when it happens, you know, yeah. and which, of course, is very frustrating to the pursuing partner. But so I encourage the distancing partner to learn their body. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to figure it out. Yeah. Because when they when they do, then they'll know what to ask for and what they like. And and it's a really complex thing because their feelings about their body and their feelings about sexual pleasure come from many many different sources. Their childhood, particularly, you know, the love that they were given, the affection that they were giving. Many sexual distancers are not as affectionate either in general because this is the avoidant attachment problem, right? They mm-hmm. actually didn't get enough affection when they were children. And so they grew up believing, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ever, I do need it so badly, but it's not coming. So I'm going to determine, I'm going to take this vow that I will not need it in my adulthood. I hmm. will never need it. And that, and then you think about it sexually, right? Because sex is such a primitive touch. It's such a need. And it's like, no, 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 no. I am never going to need that because that makes me way too vulnerable. Hmm. So they're actually guarding against vulnerability versus guarding against their partner. They're they're not trying to stay distant. They're trying to stay internally safe. Hmm. And so as, especially when the sexual distancer is also not affectionate. That's like a deeper issue and it's not just their issue, right? Because the good news is they often have married a pursuer who loves touch. I mean, how magical and wonderful is that? If we can just make it not about a power struggle, Mm. uh, it could be very healing. Yeah. 
and that, uh, that to me is the dark magic of how we get connected to people anyway. It's like we, are, we always seem to find somebody who's just a little different than us, yeah. you know, well, on the pursuer distance or scale. Yeah, and I, that's what I think, like, I love that, that, I don't know if I call it dark magic, but I like the idea of magic and relationship in general because mm-hmm. I think, I, I like the idea of healing in relationships because mm-hmm. I think people oftentimes, they, they, one's a sexual pursuer and one's a sexual distancer, and they feel like, well, we, we just can't cross that bridge. It's too far apart. Mm-hmm. It's too, it's, it's, we're opposites. And I go, no, like what actually it is, it, it, it is complementary. It is, mm-hmm. it is um, if you allow it to be, it can be healing for both of you. But that's when that's when you got to start dealing with your own stuff. And what we've what you talked about with sexual pursuers and what we've talked about with sexual distancers today is when you begin to do something different and begin to heal your own stuff, then it's healing for both parties. Yeah, it's really a way this struggle can heal the attachment wounds of our childhood. If we will depersonalize it and not feel like our partner is against us, we can heal them and they can heal us because it's the pressure, the demand withdraw cycle that we're healing so yeah well good luck to all you sexual distancers out there let us know how it goes and questions that you have yeah we'd love to hear you on instagram and social media so that we can answer questions all right okay foreplay radio sex therapy this is your sex therapist Lori watson and our couples therapist dr adam matthews you can now call in your questions to the foreplay question voicemail dial 833-MY-4PLAY that's 833 the number 4 play and we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes hey help us stay on top here at foreplay we'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends and please take one sec and rate and review us thanks so much all content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor